Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 120. Welcome to Positive Productivity Podcast, where we empower our audience to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success, especially in the face of adversity. Listen in as our guests reveal their stories of challenges and hurdles and how they overcame defeat and became triumphant in their endeavors. Let's get motivated and move forward with your host, Kim Sutton. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and today I have Linda Lairhaupt. Linda, I'm going to ask you to pronounce that the the right way in just a moment. And Linda is the Executive Director of the Institute for Mindfulness-Based Approaches and also the co-author of Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Welcome so much, Linda. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you are very welcome. And for the listener's sake, can you please say your last name in the beautiful way that you do, which is so much better than mine? Actually, you did a pretty good job. <laughs> My name is Lairhaupt. I'm going to listen to this episode about 18 times until I can say it properly. That's okay. Actually, it was lovely to move to Germany in 1983 because my name finally was no longer a problem. Everybody had no problems in spelling it and saying it. So that was one joy of moving over. <laughs> Linda, it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with your book. But I have to share that even in the States, people find difficulty saying Sutton. Really? Which cracks me up sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> we get Sutton and Sutan. And it's American people that are saying it. It's not an issue of accent. Mm -hmm. You know, the simple things like that, which make us laugh on a daily basis. Maybe we're saying it not as in initially intended. However, Linda, I would love to jump into your story and what you are doing now and then gradually work into speaking about your book. Would you please okay. share with the audience about your background, you know, how you began or how you got into the Institute for Mindfulness-Based Approaches? Okay, well, the Institute for Mindfulness-Based Approaches is a training institute where we train the trainers. And I have been in education, well, now it's 45 years. So the whole field has always really interested me, and particularly in working in training others to teach others. I've taught different things. I started my life in 1971 as a high school English and drama teacher, but I went pretty quickly into adult education because I felt that was the field where I really enjoyed working the most. The work that I do actually started in 1978 or 79 when I myself began practicing Tai Chi and then Qigong, and they were my hobbies. I was doing a doctorate at the time and preparing for an academic career, but I loved these Chinese art forms, which... Until I saw them, I never knew what they were. And in 1979, as a result of a family crisis in which I lost my mother and my young daughter, who was only three months old, and I felt really kind of lost about how to go on, I began practicing Zen meditation, which again, I never really knew what it was. I read a little book and I started practicing. And those three arts really shaped the rest of my life. In 1983, I decided to move to Germany because I met my husband and we decided to live in Germany where he's from. And I was continuing my meditation practice and my academic work. And then in 1992, I picked up a book from Professor Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who founded the method in which I later went on to train, which is called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. John Kabat-Zinn was a professor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. And he developed a stress reduction program 
based on the intensive training in mindfulness. It really became very well known in the early 1990s when Bill Moyers profiled it on public television. I myself in those days actually was completely unknown in Europe. I was the first person in Germany and one of the first on the continent actually who became interested and went on to train in it. I loved it because it combined my interest in meditation and meditative movement and education. And slowly, slowly it became known over here and we began getting requests for training programs. And one thing led to another. And in 2001, I founded the Institute. And this is now our 16th year. And we've gone from having one program in one country to having programs in eight European countries, and also really experiencing teaching this work not only in German, which became my main language, but in English and in Polish and French and Greek and other languages. And that's what I do today. So we've grown from a faculty of five to a faculty of 25. And it's also been wonderful to see how mindfulness-based interventions or approaches, we call them now, or programs, have become so, I guess you could say, mainstream. I come from the time when nobody knew what the word mindfulness meant and even might raise an eyebrow here and there if you talked about meditation or something like that. And I think it's been a really rich and wonderful gift that we now have and, and a resource that we can offer people across the board for today. Mindfulness is in the schools. It's in government. It's in healthcare, It's in mental health. It's beautiful to see how it has spread. And I'm very proud to have played a role in helping to train teachers along with my wonderful staff that this practice can be a part of life for so many people. Linda, one of the topics that you discuss in the book that really surprised me and educated me and made me more aware was when you were discussing that mindfulness is not about not thinking about anything and not clearing our mind and making it empty, but it's about being in the moment. And that was a wow to me. And I, I apologize, mm -hmm. this could be a TMI, too much information <laughs> share. However, even in the shower this morning, I realized that I was focusing on what's happened in the past and what I need to focus on for the future instead of just being in the present moment. So thank you. I mean, just enjoying the water and the warmth and the smell of the soap and being where I was right then. Well, I'm very happy that you've had that experience and also want to reassure you that everyone has that experience when they begin to practice mindfulness or when they begin to turn their attention to the present moment, they realize how much of the time we're either in the past remembering or thinking about things or sometimes even grueling about things or in the future making plans or we're worried or things like that and how really rarely we are in the present moment. And when we even begin to get a taste of what that might be, turning toward now and really sinking our roots into now, where we are anyway, but we're often trying to run away from now. And that's understandable sometimes. We may be having a very difficult situation, or we may be in pain, or we may have just had a, a fight with our partner or with a colleague. All sorts of things that often, and particularly if we're overwhelmed with work or other kinds of situations, we just want to get away because we haven't really had the learning how to be in the present moment in a way where we can appreciate it and at the same time also have the possibility of truly working with whatever situation we're facing, running away or turning away or distracting ourselves, which everyone does, 
and also pretty quickly find out don't really help. They're kinds of temporary ways of escaping. But the present moment or being able to be with whatever is happening is not only a much more, let's say, life-enhancing way, but it's also very practical. Working with things is now. And if we can learn to practice by continually being present to what is, we have an opportunity to make skillful decisions, to be able to assess things in a more skillful way. I don't know, for myself personally, I found it was a tremendous resource, which I was basically throwing away a lot because I didn't really know how to do it. You know, anytime we begin to try to practice mindfulness, it's not so easy. We find, as you said, you're either in the present moment or in the past, but it does take a bit of practice. But we have it available, just like you described this morning in the shower, just picking up the bar of soap and smelling it or feeling the water draining over us are wonderful ways of practicing mindfulness and realizing the gifts and the opportunities that life offers us. Well, as you and many of the listeners may know, I'm a mom of five. There's another section where you're talking about the exercise with eating raisins. Listeners, all of the show notes and resources that we do talk about before I continue there will be in the show notes. And you can find the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP130 for episode 130. But there was a section where there was an exercise with eating a raisin. And it made me think about how often, especially in my house, we rush through eating. We have to get somewhere. We have to get to daycare. We have to get to sports practice. I have a podcast interview. So let's just shove this food in our mouth and get it done and get our belly fed rather Mm -hmm. than enjoying. So I am actually, I can smell my pot pie in the oven right now. Don't worry, it's not going to burn. But I look forward to being in the moment and enjoying my lunch today. Mm. Well, that's a wonderful application of mindfulness in everyday life. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about mindfulness. It's not about going off to some meditation center or sitting down and everything has to be quiet and whatever, although it can be helpful to go to a meditation center or to go to a place where one might be able to practice for a time. But the real strength of mindfulness is its application in everyday life. And so what you're talking about, sometimes we suggest in class, we ask people to practice a mindful eating as an exercise once a week. And it's so interesting how the responses when people come back and say things like, you know, I never tasted really my food before, or I never noticed how fast I ate some of the things you've been describing. And all it takes is just for one moment, make a decision. I'm going to take this moment one moment at a time and just taste the food and look at the food and smell the food. Mindfulness helps us to maybe not have to wait so many years, but to really appreciate our life, to savor it like we savor food. And also to be able to be with everything we have, both the joy and the sorrow, the pain and other things that we may have as a kind of a rich opportunity to live this life that we have. Yeah? And again, it's not always easy, but we have the capacity and mindfulness is the capacity to pay attention on purpose in the present moment. If you don't Um, mind, I'm going to read a passage that I would love you to expand upon. Oh, please do. Yeah. Page 24. When we practice mindfulness, we cultivate a spirit of not knowing. It is not that we know nothing. Rather, 
Keeping don't know mind encourages the willingness to meet whatever is before us without preconditions or preconceived ideas. We try to experience it as it is, not as we think it is. Linda, would you mind discussing this passage? I absolutely love it, by the way. I think it's very interesting that you picked on that passage because it's so important to the aspect of mindfulness. However, the state where we willingly, for a moment, are willing to suspend what we know, our ideas about things, our preconceptions, even what we don't know, yeah, because often what we don't know is based on what we know. So we're really willing to just be with what is as best we can to allow us to experience something beyond what we think it is. And at the same time, rich, it allows us to go back into our life and into our work and into our relationships and see what we've not been seeing because we so often have, in fact, a very closed mind to things. And so practicing with a spirit of don't know means, among other things, to be really curious, to be curious about things. And that allows us a much wider and a much richer way of, of being. It just came up for me, a very practical application. I remember my husband and I, and we've been together now 37 years. So at some point, <laughs> we were going through a particularly difficult time because I have a certain way of doing things. Let's just say I'm kind of, if there's something to be done, I get out my lists. I write things down. Okay, I'm going to do it this way, this way, this way. And my husband comes from an artistic background and he's much more creative in that kind of way. And his approach is exactly the opposite. He has the thing to do. He'll stop. He'll draw back. He'll take the long perspective and wider perspective. And in the early days for someone like me, that seemed like, well, you know, you're not doing anything and you have to do this. And then we did some counseling. And what I realized was that the man I thought I knew, I didn't know at all. I had so many preconceptions about how he should be. And I remember saying, I feel like I've met you for the first time. And this was after 20 years. Once I could let go of my idea of I know him and I know how it should be, I began to appreciate a whole other sense. And don't know mind is just really willing to let go of assumptions, to let go of what I think I know, to be willing to discover what I don't yet know. You just gave me marriage counseling. <laughs> well, I'm happy if it's helpful. I know it was a big, big eye-opener for me. No, I mean, extremely helpful. Listeners, you've probably heard me talk about how Dave is a video game developer. And Linda, you and I chatted about this a little bit pre-show. However, it's because I am the list person too, Linda. I have everything planned out, I think, for the next three months. But you know, it never goes that way. But that's okay. I have a plan. And then my husband also is the artistic part. I'm not artistic type, I should say. But as a video game developer, I'll find him playing games and scrolling through feeds of games. And to me, mm. because I'm not playing games, I think it's a waste of time. Because if I were to do mm -hmm. that, for me, it would be a waste of time. But using that not knowing, I realized just now when you were just talking, this is research. This is him feeding his brain and getting to the place where he needs to be. Absolutely. And you know, there's been a lot of research now done on how important mind wandering is for creativity. My husband, he would go out and get a big contract to do a huge garden and he'd come home and for the next three days, he'd lay on the sofa at night, put on some soft music and just lay there. And to begin with, I'd say, 
what's going on? You have this big contract. Don't you have to go upstairs and draw all your plans and get out your computer and everything? He said, no, I'm planning now just by laying there quietly with soft music. And today I understand, of course, this was many, many years ago, 30 years ago, when I wasn't so attuned to all these kinds of ways. But the mind wandering, it's not a kind of a spacing out in a negative way. It's really just allowing the mind to wander. It actually relaxes the mind. I think there's a very famous quote by Albert Einstein. I've heard that many scientists get their most brilliant ideas, not when they're focused, you know, working on the paper, but actually in a moment of freedom or just taking a walk or just relaxing or maybe just before going to sleep at night. Out of that kind of state can comes tremendous creativity. And so this kind of get to it and work hard and this is not always the best way for these kind of creative leaps, so to speak. You have me cracking up because actually I am writing a book and this is something that we hadn't discussed before. I'm writing a book called Chronic Idea Disorder. And <laughs> because I get ideas all the time. And unless I have something to document it with, they fly out the window. But then I try to do too much at once, which is going to lead me into my next question, actually. Okay. But that's totally right. You know, we're going about our day and we get ideas and sometimes it feeds sometimes into it what we're working on and other times it doesn't. I wasn't planning on talking about that, but it serves as a perfect segue into my question for you, which is what are your thoughts, especially for the business owners in the audience, on mindfulness as it applies to multitasking. Oh, boy. I know that was a good one, wasn't it? I mean, I'm not a scientist in that sense. I'm aware of the research and things. But from what I understand, actually, there is no such thing as multitasking in the sense of being able to do five things at once. What I mean is, is that the brain changes extremely rapidly, but it can't hold five things at once. It seems like it because it's happening so fast, but actually it has to make these continual neurological shifts. I'm saying this in a very lame person kind of way, but it has to make tremendous amount of shifting trying to do too many things at once. But we get into an adrenaline high and also this constant, not only the movement, but the brain having to constantly shift gears is really tiring. And we can do it for a while. But I notice now that the more mature age that I am, that actually it's exhausting and was only able to carry it maybe when I was younger. But in fact, it's a kind of an irony because I'm not being as efficient as I thought I was. And in fact, the tasks that I'm working on suffer in quality. Oh, I completely agree. I cannot remember which episode it was, and I apologize to the guest on that episode, but there was a guest who recommended an app that I have started using called Forest, which mm -hmm. I can set timers, and while I am focused on that one task, a tree will grow. <laughs> and you can set it up on your phone or on your computer so that you can't go to specific websites during that time. So for people who find themselves getting pulled into Instagram or Facebook or, you know, any time suckers, you can blacklist those apps for that time. But mm -hmm. what I'm loving is that I'm staying in the moment when I do actually use the app. I have to get better at it. But even for only 25 minute blocks, I'm focused on that one thing mm -hmm. and I watch my forest grow. Well, that's a very interesting uh, application. I think one of the subjects of mindfulness-based stress reduction, maybe I can just briefly say what it is. Basically, MBSR or mindfulness-based stress reduction 
is uh, takes place in the form of an eight-week course where people come once a week for two and a half to three hours. And there's a session between the sixth and seventh week where there's a whole day of practice of mindfulness. And they learn four main mindfulness exercises. One's called a body scan. One is a sequence of gentle yoga, sitting meditation, and walking meditation. And each week has a theme. For example, what is mindfulness? Or another theme is in week two, how we see the world. Because how we see things determines to a great extent whether we experience something as stressful or whether we can be busy but not necessarily stressed. So our perspective plays a key role in how we process uh, situations. And another topic of week seven, for example, is what we take in. Yeah. Now, this can be food. This can be media. This can be how we use our time. And this is so critical today. 20 years ago, or even 15 years ago, I think the iPhone was invented in 2007. It first came on the market. So it's maybe 10 or 15 years that we're living with now what we call digital overload. In some cases, it's digital addiction. And the aspect of that, it's very difficult for us to monitor ourselves or pace ourselves. And mindfulness can be really, really helpful because, first of all, becoming aware of the fact. It sounds like your app is helping you to remember that you are being pulled away and giving you the opportunity to monitor yourself so that you can come back again to the present moment. And being aware of how we are distracted is, in a way, a kind of a stopping activity, which is very important. You know, we talk about putting the brakes on, but we first have to be even aware that we need to put the brakes on. And so often we're not. So we have the practices of the mindfulness meditation exercises, which really help us to ground in the body, to use working with the breath, not working with, but being with the breath, breath meditation. We also have body meditation. The yoga is tremendously helpful for having a sense of being in our bodies and not up in our heads, so to speak. And the walking meditation, many people find that really, really helpful because one step at a time, one moment at a time. But this capacity to stop, I would say, is a very, very important element. Even just taking, many of our participants tell us that learning the awareness of breathing exercise, and then being able to apply that at different times throughout the day. Of course, it's very helpful. And we do this in the program meditation for up to actually 40 minutes by the time we get further on in the program. People sometimes can, we have what's called a three-minute breathing space, where for three minutes at a time, just becoming aware of the breath, becoming aware of our bodies, can be tremendously helpful for interrupting this constant wheel of moving, moving, movement. That is something that gives me concern. Uh, and me as well. Listeners, I know some of you are probably at the gym or driving or working, as I do a lot of the time when I'm listening to podcasts. Linda, you just gave me an idea. And to my awesome editing team, when we close out the episode, I'd actually like you to please leave a three-minute empty space before the outro. Because okay. listeners just want you to appreciate everything around you. Mm. Your book is out there and available right now, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Where can listeners find your book? Well, our book is available 
in all outlets. I'd like to encourage supporting your local bookstore, number one. But it also can be ordered online with the various Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, uh, the other kind of online places. It can be also directly ordered from the publisher, which is New World Library. I think it's available through all the normal outlets. But I, may I just plug something else? Because uh, you might not be aware of it. And since you're working, you have a lot of people online. I'm also the originator of a podcast series called the Mindfulness-Based Teacher Project. And it's a podcast to support teachers of mindfulness in healthcare, in education, wherever that they're working. But it is many, many people who don't teach mindfulness have told me that they've really, really appreciated the approach and the things that I talk about. I usually begin with a story and then I expand on it. And they're about no longer than 15 minutes. And it's kind of my legacy project and my heart project. It's freely available online across the board. And it's the mindfulness-based teacherproject.org. That is awesome. And again, listeners, there will be a link to links, I should say, to everything that we've talked about, including Linda's book and the Institute for Mindfulness-Based Approaches, as well as the podcast in the show notes, which again, you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp130. Linda, I want to thank you so much for being here today. I would love to ask you before we close out, would you mind sharing where listeners can find you online and maybe a closing comment for listeners to think about before we go into the three minute pause? Well, you can find the Institute online at www.instituteformindfulness.org. A closing comment. I'm sitting in my room now, looking out the window at the trees waving in the breeze. It's spring here, and it's unbelievably life. The birds, the greenness of the trees that maybe just a few weeks ago were still gray. The sounds of spring, the smells of spring. I just experience it at the moment as I feel totally grateful that I can be here. At the same time, there are things going on in my life that are requesting my attention and there are some challenges, but just that one moment of looking out the window and seeing the trees dancing in the wind, it's a gift. And so I hope that all your listeners and you yourself, that you can take those moments that life is asking us to share with it and with one another. And I hope that that supports you all in your journeys.
Hey there, this is Kim Sutton, host of the Positive Productivity Podcast. And I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and were inspired, I would love to hear your feedback. Please take a moment or two and visit the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or on my website at thekimsutton.com to leave your rating or review. I'd also like to invite you to join the Positive Productivity Book Club and to find out more about my coaching packages by visiting thekimsutton.com. Until the next episode, I hope you have a positive and productive day.